1: أشهد أن محمد وَلَا إِلَّا وَأَنْتُمْ
2: مُسْلِمُونَ أَمَّا Dear Muslims, in the eighth year of the Meccan Dawa, three years or four years before the hijrah, after the Quraysh had tried multiple tactics and Islam was still rising, they tried the tortures of Yasir and Sumayyah, they tried the tortures of Bilal, they tried preaching against the Prophet and making fun of him. When multiple tactics failed and Islam was still rising, Hamza had just embraced Islam Umar ibn al-Khattab had just embraced Islam radiallahu anhum the Quraysh came together and they did one of their most dastardly one of their most evil inhumane tactics what did they do? they all came together and they said we shall boycott the Muslims we shall isolate the Banu Hashim we will not sell them food or water We will not intermarry amongst them. We will not allow anybody to sit in a gathering where there's a Muslim. And we will force Abu Talib to hand over the process and we can execute him. Or they will have to leave and get rid of, Astaghfirullah from their perspective, this nuisance. And so they came together. And Abu Jahl was the leader of this boycott. And Abu Jahl enacted a treaty in which every major tribe signed on, except for the Banu Hashim, that they would boycott the Banu Hashim. No buying and selling anything. No social interaction. No marriages will take place. Now realize, sisters and brothers, Mecca does not have farmland. There are no agriculture and crops. Everything you have to purchase from the market. Everything you go there, there are people coming and they're selling. When you stop the selling of products, where are they going to get food from? And the boycott affected only the Muslim community and of course the Banu Hashim, the tribe of Abu Talib. Abu Talib tried to negotiate. He tried to plead with them. This had never happened in history. Never had this happened. How inhumane can you be? You're not going to sell food to your own relatives. You're going to let your own relatives starve. And Abu Talib tried and tried. But Abu Jahl and his arrogance won the day. Abu Jahl was, you know who he was. You know his reality. And people were scared of him. And he had a physical persona and an aura that intimidated people. And he was the de facto leader of the, of the Quraysh. Abu Talib was a gentleman. He was respected But Abu Jahl was the vicious, you know, the tyrant And so Abu Jahl's will was in fact enacted And they wrote this boycott, the treaty And to give themselves a bit of ego boost And to make them feel nice They said, we will hang it inside the Kaaba As if hanging it inside the Kaaba made it less evil As if hanging it inside the Kaaba made it more sanctified and holy They wanted to placate their their guilt They said, we're going to put it inside the Kaaba And so that's exactly what they did Abu Talib was so incensed and enraged that he decided to physically boycott Mecca itself. He took the Muslims and he went to a valley that the Banu Hashim owns, it's called the Sha'ab of the Banu Hashim. It's outside of Mecca these days, of course, it's inside the city. It's an entire valley. Now, he didn't do this out of fear. He did it for two reasons. First and foremost, there was a genuine sense of rage. How dare you do this? And to show how angry he was, this was a type of protest. How dare you boycott your own relatives? How dare you not sell us food and water? And secondly, to protect the Prophet ﷺ from physical harm because up until this point in time, there was no physical harm, but things are changing. Talk of assassination has begun. As you know, after the death of Abu Talib, they will actually attempt to assassinate. You know this but right now it's still the eighth year of the dawah there hasn't been any actual assassination attempts but talk has begun so Abu Talib to protect the Prophet physically withdrew and there was a valley there that only had one entrance so you can guard and protect it and they went into this valley for how long in my analysis of the seat of Allah I think around 18 months is the more reasonable a year and a half they stayed in this valley now how did you survive how did they survive for a year and a half without interacting with the people, without you know, going to the markets, without being sold food, how did they interact? Subhanallah, multiple ways. First and foremost, they attempted to buy from outside of Mecca. Because again, when you're boycotted, when you're ostracized, what will you do? And so when caravans would come from outside of Mecca, non-Qurashi, the treaty is not binding on them, is it? The treaty is not binding on them. The treaty is only for the people of Mecca. So outside caravans, when they would come, the Muslims would send people, negotiate and purchase even for a higher price. But then Abu Jahl found out. And Abu Jahl then came to these caravans. And Abu Jahl said, whatever they're giving you, I'll give you double. I promise you, I will give you a bigger profit. So he tried his best to outman them, to out veto them. He tried his best to shut off this avenue as well. And sometimes he was successful, sometimes he wasn't. How else did they survive for a year and a half? kindness of relatives. Because again, the Banu Hashim were boycotted, but the Banu Hashim have relatives, marriages and cousins and whatnot that are involved in the entire society. And so non-Muslims, pagans, idol worshippers who had conscience, who had love for their relatives, they would give Surreptitiously. Amongst them is the nephew of Khadija. Khadija's nephew, Hakim ibn Hizam. This is Khadija's brother's son, Hakim ibn Hizam. Hakim ibn Hizam was a very wealthy merchant and he was not a Muslim at this time. Eventually he embraces Islam. And he would go and he would give food to the people. And once Abu Jahal caught him and he was with his servant and he had barrels of food to give. And Abu Jahal said, where are you going? He tried to, you know, change the subject. Eventually he had to confess, I'm going to the Sha'ab of Banu Hashim. And Abu Jahal began beating him up. And Hakim was no, you know, a small man himself. A physical fight ensued until other Qurashis got involved and Hakim was allowed to go in, but a one-off basically. He was told not to go after this. They didn't want the bloodshed to occur amongst them. But there were people who were physically fighting the boycott. There were people who, because of their blood relatives, were not allowing this to take place. And that is Hakim ibn Hizam and another group. There is yet another group there. No blood relations, but still people of conscience no physical relatives in you know the Sha'ab of Banu Hashim but they have, not iman they have humanity I should say, they have a sense of of compassion, how can this be happening, you're allowing people to starve, it is said in the books of the Seerah, in the uh, Ibn Sa'ad and others, it is mentioned that the cries of the children in the Sha'ab could be heard by the people of Makkah the hungry children without any food they're crying at night and the people of Makkah could hear those cries how can it not move your heart and these are in the end of the day even if the Banu Hashim is one tribe all of the other tribes are related by blood it's a third fourth cousin it's basically you're all related to one another you've grown up together you're the same group you're the same population so there were people who were moved with compassion even though they were not from the Banu Hashim and they were not related to the Banu Hashim and most prominent amongst them and I've given multiple lectures about this person Mut'im ibn Adi Mut'im ibn Adi whom the Prophet himself honored in the Battle of Badr and I don't have time to get into there he died at. Pagan. He didn't ever accept Islam, but Mut'im had compassion in his heart, and he was the chieftain of his tribe. He wasn't no, you know, lowly. He was a chieftain, and he could not stand this inhumanity. So, in the middle of the night, can you imagine a chieftain waking up at 3 a.m. and himself taking a camel? Every few weeks or months, he would do this. He would take a camel, one of his own camels. Generosity. He would load it with barley, with food, with grain, with dates, whatever there was there. He would load it, and in the middle of the night, so nobody stopped him Nobody catches him. He goes to the valley and he just releases the camel inside. And a camel full of food is gonna last you a few months by by the the, the way they're rationing it out. So this is how. And by the way, it is also mentioned that Bilal and others. They mentioned that when, when Bilal was asked, "How did you survive?" He said, "We would eat the the shrubs, the 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 the." the the, lay, the leaves on the floor that's what we would eat sometimes in order to survive they literally had to become staghfirullah eating like goats whatever is there they will eat it and this is mentioned in our books of Sirah as well 18 months a year and a half some books say 2-3 years but I think realistically it's 18 months or so but then how did it end? how did this evil inhumane time end? two things happen firstly Abu Talib himself, after this time frame, after a year and a half, he himself came back in with a delegation and he had a public challenge to the Nadi, to the parliament of the Quraysh and he attempted to negotiate, even though it wasn't quite successful, but he attempted to negotiate with them immediately. How long can you this last? How long will you keep us there? So Abu Talib took a delegation back into the city and he attempted to cancel that treaty. Around the same time, again, we don't have eyewitnesses too many, but we're trying to piece it together. Perhaps. In the same week, we don't know exactly when was the final camel—the the straw that broke the camel's back, as the saying goes—and this was the internal dissent amongst the Quraysh. The internal dissent amongst the other tribes who could not bear to see the inhumanity, to see the pain, to see the suffering, to see the starvation. Because people in the end of the day, there are people of conscience, even amongst the elites, even amongst the people who don't believe in Allah in the final day, you have humanity. And so groups of people began, you know, there's fomenting dissent, but who's going to challenge Abu Jahl? Who's going to be that person who can actually take on this tyrant, this Fir'aun? The Prophet ﷺ said, Abu Jahl is the Fir'aun of our Ummah. He is the Fir'aun of our Ummah. Who's going to challenge this Fir'aun? Subhanallah. أهلها, Abu Jahl's cousin from the same tribe of Banu Mahzum, his name is Hisham, Hisham ibn Amr, Abu Jahl's cousin, another Mahzumi, and Mahzum by the way, and the Banu Hashim were the biggest rivals, they hated each other's guts, they were competitors, but this is too far, too much pain. And so even somebody from the Banu Mahzum, his heart stirs, and he happens to be the cousin of Abu Jahl, and he begins visiting some of the senior delegates of the Quraysh. And he goes to uh, Zuhaid ibn Abi Umayyah, who is also also, a very famous uh, person from the tribe, but Banu Khoidid from the tribe of uh, uh, Khadija. And in fact, he is also a cousin of the Prophet from his aunt Atika, i.e., the Prophet's father's sister is Zuhair's mother. So he's the aunt son of the Prophet ﷺ. He goes to Zuhair and after they have dinner, he goes, Zuhair, how can you have dinner when your own cousins are starving? And Zuhair says, I know, but what do you want me to do? I'm one person. I agree with you. I don't like this, but I can't do this alone. And so Hisham says, don't worry, I'll get somebody else. And so he goes to Mut'im ibn Adi and he says to Mut'im, Mut'im, you know, this is not right. Let's do something. Mut'im says, what can the two of us do? He says, Says, don't worry. I'll get you some other people. And so he went to Zuma ibn al Aswad, and he, and he said the same thing. Each one of them, he's going, and he's saying, and what did? And he chooses the right people, and he knows whose hearts are soft, and he persuades them one by one until finally, when all four, five, six of them come, he goes, look, now we have the core that we need. We have the critical mass to lift the boycott. We have now developed an internal dissent to overcome this veto. Now what do we do? Now here is where Hisham he. Plots a plan, a halal plan, a very ingenious plan, and he sets up a beautiful strategy of how to overcome the boycott. So he says, khalas at this time when everybody gathers, there's an afternoon time where all the Quraysh would come in front of the Kaaba, just chilling in our in our vernacular, sipping coffee or whatever. You know that time from everybody sits in front of their houses. We're gonna come at that time. You sit here, you sit here, you sit here, and I'm gonna do tawaf. When a Quraysh did tawaf, this was a sign that I have something important to say. When somebody from Quraysh, when he's doing tawaf, this is a sign guys I have an announcement to make and so he goes and then uh, you do tawaf and so uh, Zuhair. he said to Zuhair, you do tawaf and then you say these lines to put to summarize so Zuhair, then the cousin of the Prophet sallallahu did tawaf and everybody's saying oh Zuhayr's doing tawaf this means there must be an important announcement after Zuhair finishes tawaf they're waiting for him to say something he then says oh people of Quraysh how long can we sit in our houses and enjoy our families and food when our own kith and kin are starving to death? How long can we do this? Now, why was Zuhayr chosen? Because Zuhayr, out of all of them, he's the first cousin of the As I said, his mother is the aunt of the Prophet. So it makes the most logical sense that Zuhayr was chosen. So Zuhayr says, look, it's not fair. Our relatives are dying. As soon as this was the cause, Abu Jahl obviously immediately stands up. Sit down and be quiet. This is a done deal. You have no right to speak speak against our agreement. But all of this is planned. And so, as soon as Abu Jahl says this, Abu Bakhtari, another of the you know elite of them, stands up and he goes, "No, this." plot that you did or sorry this treaty that you did it was done in haste you didn't follow protocol I was not consulted so he brings up a technicality this is not fair the one you passed it I wasn't there and I was supposed to be voting so then when when he says that then one of the third stands up and the third one says I too disagree we need to get rid of this and then finally the last of them Mut'im ibn Adi who is the senior most the eldest Mut'im stands up and goes it is time we cancel this treaty it is time we annul this treaty and Abu Jahl is saying one, two, three, four, five, all at different places. And he realizes, he goes, this is a plot you guys have done from before. This can't be happening, but it's too late. Why? Because public sentiment had turned. The Quraysh themselves did not want this boycott anymore. They realized this was too inhumane. They realized it was too unjust. And so the tide had shifted and Abu Jahl was out-vetoed and the siege was lifted up. And so the Muslims were then allowed back into the city of Mecca. But even when they were allowed back in, This was not the end of it all. This was still persecution. They still had to migrate. But it was better than the boycott. It was better than the Sha'ab of the Banu Hashim. The assassination attempts are still to come. But still, the Muslims are back in the city. They can breathe. They're back home. They can eat and drink. It's better than their status quo. Now, sisters and brothers, you all know where I'm heading with this. Obviously, we're talking about this in light of Gaza. And obviously, when you compare any two situations, you find similarities and you find differences. So please, I'm not saying it's exactly the same. Please, be a little bit more mature. I'm trying to derive points. Nobody point out, oh, there's. Di-. of course it's different. No two situations will be exactly the same. But I'm trying to derive benefits about what we can look at. Some of the positives from this incident that we can look at insha'Allah because the similarities are way too many. The people of Gaza have been trapped up like the Banu Hashim. The people of Gaza are economically boycotted. Like Abu Jahl goes to the other tribes, says don't sell to them. The United Nations, our own country has vetoed. Nobody can interact with them. They shut the border down just like Abu Jahl did. Now we have the United Nations in this place doing the exact same thing. Nobody should sell. You can't even give baby food to the babies. You cannot even give humanitarian aid except 20 trucks a day for two million people, 20 trucks a day. If this is not Abu Jahl, then what is Abu Jahl and the similarities as well. Again, you find this reality of nothing to eat and drink. SubhanAllah, I saw a tweet yesterday of a famous sheikh, well-known author in Gaza. He's written many books and a famous muhaddith. And he wrote, you know, when the internet came back up, he goes, I want the world to know, there are three of us living here, and I found an old onion. That's all I had. And we boiled the onion, and three men ate from boiled soup onion, and we peeled the onion up, and we ate, that was our food for today. They ate an onion, three men. This is... Again, subhanAllah, what is happening? Wallahu mustaan The callousness of the people Just like the Quraysh could hear the children crying in the Sha'ab Banu Hashim Now we see children crying We see dead children And where is the humanity of the world? But here's the point What can we learn? And again, there are differences But what can we learn from this story? We learn so much, sisters and brothers We learn so much of them Is that there will always be people Always be people on the other side who are standing against injustice. They have some humanity. You will find the Hisham ibn Amr, the mut'ib ibn Adi's, the Zuhayr. You will find these people. And when you find them, of the benefits we learn as well, is that the delegation of Abu Talib, you need to go and negotiate. Abu Talib went with the delegation. There must have been Muslims in that delegation. There must have been people negotiating with the Quraysh. How can you do this? So Abu Talib's negotiation, along with the internal dissent put together, that is how it broke in the end. That is the two things that came together the internal voice and the external voice they came together So you have this reality in this incident of the seerah as well We benefit from this as well that subhanallah sometimes it takes an immense amount of pain and suffering The loss of lives really to see the reality of the situation To see how evil one side is and how pious and righteous the other side is to see to eventually Elicit the sympathy of those who didn't have sympathy at the beginning in the beginning when the boycott was enacted the majority of Quraysh sided with Abu Jahl but after a year and a half of torture a year and a half of starvation a year and a half of children crying many hard hearts melted many people who were first on Abu Jahl's side now came on the side of Hisham and on the same side of Mutim ibn Adi this is the reality of humanity sometimes and this is not astaghfirullah astaghfirullah to justify the loss of life may Allah accept all of them who have died in Gaza but sometimes it takes a lot of pain a lot of suffering to elicit sympathy from those whose hearts are hard to elicit sympathy from those who don't have iman and we see this in the seerah as well that there is a tipping point there is a turning point and eventually people will see this is not fair and it is not right to do also we find over here that there's always dissent from the leading class and the most important voices without doubt, are gonna be the most powerful voices. You needed a cousin of Abu Jahl. You needed Hisham from the Banu makhzum None of the others could dare begin the initiation and the plot, or else they would have been executed, they would have been boycotted themselves. So we need power and strength from the people within. And by the way, Hisham in all likelihood never embraced Islam. Sometimes people do it out of humanity, and that's fine, no problem. We just wanna bring an end to the suffering. And your iman and kufr is between you and Allah subhanahu. So we need the Hishams, the powerful people who are of the elite and who side with truth and justice. They need to be put in charge, but we also need the people who have relationships. Hisham was the one who's the brains, but who was the voice? Zuhair. Why Zuhair? Because he was the cousin of the Prophet Hisham was the brains, but the ambassador became Zuhair. He's the one who stood up because if Zuhair stands up, people understand your cousin is there. He's the closest relative who's non-Hashimi. A first cousin, and actually he was a business partner. If you remember my sera lectures, he was a business partner of the Prophet in the days of Jahili, who would travel with him. So he was a close friend and a cousin and a brother figure to the Prophet. Everybody knows there's bonds between them. So for him to stand up, it is logical and rational. Similarly, in our times, for the people of that region, for the Palestinians who are living in this land to be on the vocal on the forefront. This is again a common sense reality because that's the way things work here. But there always must be the Hishams as well the people who are you know up there who are helping in this regard as well also sisters and brothers one of the most difficult things to say and again I'm simply gonna say it and you guys think about it is that sometimes a temporary solution that brings some peace is better than an ideal solution that never happens a temporary solution because this was a temporary solution for the Muslims to come back to Mecca well the torture didn't stop the, the, the uh, evil you know, rhetoric, the, the maligning, the slander did not stop. The physical alterations between the Muslims and the Quraysh did not stop. In fact, the Prophet ﷺ, eventually, they attempted to assassinate him. Remember the night of the hijrah. So it's not as if at the end of the boycott, Everything is fine. That's gonna take another four years for the hijrah. That's gonna take another battle. It was a small win, but it was an immense win because at least they can eat and drink. At least they're back in their houses. Now this is where, again, I'm not a political analyst, but again, we have to be brave enough to start talking publicly amongst ourselves before we go outside. What is a realistic solution in that part of the world? I don't know, I'm not an analyst, but go to the Muslims, go to the Palestinians who have the ultimate choice in this regard. I'm not aware which is the best solution a two-state solution or even a one state where everybody's equal We get rid of this political Zionism because we have always said Zionism is apartheid Zionism one group of people think they are chosen by God. How can this not be racism? How can it be 2023 and we are still thinking Zionism is a legitimate philosophy? Our country went to war against Afghanistan, against Iraq, wanting to spread democracy Wallahi why don't they spread democracy in that Region, bring everybody to be equal one citizen, one vote. It would be way better than what is happening right now with trapped up people, two million behind the wall. I don't understand. We invade other countries to spread democracy, and yet this country that is supposed to be an ally. We are not doing anything and saying it's okay to have two and a half million people locked up as second class citizens. Zionism is a racist ideology that does not deserve to exist as a political philosophy. We have nothing against Jews and Christians who wanna practice and pray. Our enmity is not with them, but we do not accept Zionism. And frankly, every person of intelligence, every secular humanist, every democratic liberal person should see this. It's not humanity. When you think one race, one group of people, is better than the other so I don't know the solution but I do know some solution is better than current status quo and I do know just like in the in the time of the seerah sometimes a partial solution that has a temporary benefit it'll, it'll bring about long term but it is better than status quo so from all of this we learn sisters and brothers from the seerah that sometimes sometimes victories are not something that are you know militarily it can be strategic in this case it was a strategic victory it was a victory of ideas a victory of negotiation, a victory of contracts. And sometimes that victory is not a massive victory. This does not bring about the Medina state, but it is better than status quo. So from this, we learn sisters and brothers that it is our job. It is our job to help in whatever way we can. We have to look at who are the Hishams, who are the Zuma's, who are the Mut'ims, who are the Abu Bakhtari's. We have to be like Abu Talib and negotiate and bring about. We have to understand each one has a role to play. Not everybody's gonna be Hisham, not everybody's gonna be Zuma, not everybody's gonna be zuhaid Everybody has a role to play. And if we play our role properly, put our trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, at least we have done our job. And insha'Allah ta'ala, insha'Allah ta'ala, it's only a matter of time before the humanity of the most hardcore, hard-hearted person will eventually be moved. It's only a matter of time. 12,000 lives have been lost. 5,000 children have been killed. For how long will the world remain silent? Alhamdulillah, we are seeing more and more and more voices from around the world bring attention to this tragedy. We hope, inshallah, very soon, inshallah, in our own lifetimes, a permanent solution will be done for the safety of our brothers and sisters in Gaza. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless all of us with and through the Quran, and may He make us of those who His verses they understand and apply halal and through our lifespan and ask Allah's forgiveness. We as well ask Him, for He is the Ghafoor and the Rahman. <laughs>
1: <laughs> in my second khutbah, I wanted
2: to remind myself and all of you of a number of points that are explicitly mentioned in the Quran that bring about Allah's victory. Now there are many points, but time is limited. I'm only going to mention three. But there are at least seven or eight that are explicitly mentioned in the Quran. And I have given other lectures uh, in, in the last 10, 15 years. You can look them up. The causes for Allah's support, the, the reasons for Allah's nasr to come down. I'm going to mention three of them that are, that are especially pertinent for our times and our, and, our, uh, and our situation. Number one, and without a doubt, the most important one. Number one, every one of us has to have an increased awareness of our own religiosity, our own spirituality, our own connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah's help comes to those who deserve it. Allah's help comes to the righteous and pious. And if all of us come together, this is step one. It's not the only step. Please understand, people always get very you know emotional, whatnot, but I firmly believe step number one, strong iman. Step number one, increased awareness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, increased ikhlas, increased tawakkul, increased increase tahajjud. We all have to be better at our individual lives. And wallahi, sisters and brothers, look at what Gaza is doing. Look at the iman of the people of Gaza. Look at how they are demonstrating to the world the bravery that they have. We don't even have a fraction of it. Look at what they are doing. Can we not in our own lives increase and raise the bar? Can we not increase our own piety living in these safe circumstances surrounded by wealth and money and, and family and so much luxuries? The least we can do is to increase our own ibadah to live better and more taqwa-filled lives. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, Allah shall never allow the kafir to be above and above over the mu'min. So if we have iman, Allah azza wa Jalla will eventually always give victory to the mu'min. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, al mu'minin." It is our duty, حقًا. Allah is al-Haqq and Allah says it is my haqq that I will help the Mu'minin. وَكَانَ حَقًّا عَلَيْنَا Nasul Mu'minin. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says in the Quran, "Wa ad Allahu al-ladina aamanu minku wa aminu al-salihati, la yastakhlfannahum fil-ardi, kama istakhlf al-ladina ma qablihim." Allah has promised. Those who are pious amongst you and those who do good deeds that you shall have security in the land. Allah has promised the pious that you shall have political security. This is in the Quran. So point number one, it's not the only point, but I firmly believe, I firmly believe the beginning of everything is a strong iman in Allah. We have to be better in our individual lives. Point number two, explicit in the Quran, very clear. waḥdat al-kalīmah coming together as much as we can. Ignoring our internal differences, a physical unity of the ummah, we have to come together. All of you hold on to the rope of Allah and do not divide amongst yourselves. And in the battle of Uhud, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the reason why what happened happened. When you lost hope and you began arguing and you differed amongst yourselves, one of the causes of Uhud one of the causes of Uhud was the ummah was not united and the ummah began bickering amongst itself sisters and brothers I say loudly and clearly any group any sheikh any preacher who at this point in time is pointing fingers to other mainstream movements and shuyukh and whatnot, something is massively wrong with this person. There's a time and a place to talk about internal differences. Right now, the ummah needs to be united for Gaza. It needs to set aside its sectarianism, its internal political differences, its ethnic divides, its nation-states. The ummah has to come together. Now, I don't control the entirety of the ummah, but I control myself and my family and friends. You control your family and friends. You strive to be united in your own group as much as you can. You start from small and overcome these differences and come together for the sake of a greater good. This is explicit in the Quran. And the third and final point and again because of the khutbah otherwise there's many other things to say. Is to take the legitimate asbab, to take the legitimate causes. The Quran and Sunnah does not ever tell us to sit back in the masjid and worship Allah and expect a miracle to happen. That's not the way the seerah works, life works. And I'm sorry, and again, I know it's gonna irritate some people because some people, they think you should not do anything. Do not protest, do not, and they think this is wrong and whatnot. And again, I don't wanna be harsh because I just said we have to unite, right? I'm trying to be wise, I'm trying to be, subhanAllah. I'm not quoting you from the seerah that Abu Talib's event is a protest. I'm not saying that because you're going to say, oh, he was a kafir, this and that. But I'm saying the asbab or the mechanisms change from time to place to era. And what Abu Talib did and what the Prophet did throughout the seerah was use the tactics of his time, was use what was available at his time. In our times, the tactics are different. In our times, the tactics are public protest, bringing awareness to the cause, writing to your senators, supporting the right people. And I understand it's a long-term battle, but this is the only equivalent we have and there's nothing wrong to availing ourselves with the tactics of our times anybody who says it's haram and this and that again, I don't want to be harsh here. I strongly, politely, but strongly disagree. There's nothing in our sharia to make protest haram. There's nothing in our sharia that says as Muslims in this land, we should not influence our politicians. We are part of this land. We are Americans. It is our tax dollars that are going there. Sisters and brothers, I'm sorry to be so blunt here, but 14 billion of my and your tax dollars. We need to teach and preach to the rest of the American community. We have schools that can use that money. Our health care system is in shambles. Somebody said that to solve all of the homelessness of America requires 22 billion dollars. I find it shameful that we're spending 14 billion in another country and there are people in our country that are sleeping on the streets. Let's use this line, simple as that. You don't have to bring in religion, don't bring in politics, bring in common sense. Why should my tax dollars go to another country? I want my tax dollars to be spent here. Sisters and brothers, especially those that have come from other and become American citizens. You need to understand this is what it means to be a citizen of your country. This is what it means your taxes are going there. These are your politicians. They're being paid by you. How can you be silent? I understand where you came from. It was apolitical. There were tyrannical regimes. You go to jail. That's long gone. This is a different country. And yes, there's social pressure. And yes, you know, the only Palestinian uh, American in Congress simply tweeting something about Palestine. She will get the censure of the entire Congress how shameful is that our Congress votes for more aid our bombs are being dropped there and the one Palestinian voice for simply tweeting freedom to my land our Congress voted she should be censured wallahi sisters and brothers if we don't understand that at this point in time we need to stand united against this hatred against this bigotry I'm not defending every single thing this sister or that congressman has done but at this point in time when you have people in Congress that are standing up for the cause of Palestine for the cause of Gaza we really need to put our differences aside and support our members of Congress support what they are doing because if we're gonna withdraw right now who's gonna support them even the Congress has censured them but here's the point let them censure this is the United States of America and we have the right to disagree we have the right to lobby and campaign and campaign and we have the right to re-elect those same people if we feel they're better for the ummah this is the minimum we can do and anybody who says it is haram I'm trying to be you know, gentle here They're just wrong, I'm sorry, they're wrong. They're living in a different time and era and place. There's nothing haram, there's no shir, there's no kufr in this. This is our tactics that we need to do and we learn this from the seerah. Sisters and brothers, wallahi, I understand it's gloomy. I understand we feel overcome with emotion and depression, but still the seerah teaches us, the Quran teaches us. We must always look to optimism. We must always think tomorrow will be a better day. We must always put our trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and inshaAllah ta'ala, InshaAllah Taala, Nasrullahi Qadeeb. The the help of Allah is close, and we will see this help. inshaAllah Taala. We need to do our job and leave the rest to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Allahumma Maa Ni Daain Fa Allahumma La Ta Taafiy Hadirum I Illa Ghafarta Walla Hamman Illa Farjita Walla daynan Illa Qadaita Walla Maridan Illa Shafeeta Walla Asiran Illa Yasarta, Allah Maa Qafillana Walla Ikhwan Naa Lina Bil Iman Walla Ta Kurubina Qulubina Liladina Amanu. Rabbana inna Rauf Al Raheem. Ya hayu, ya qayumu, ya dhal wal ikram, ya sami' ya dhal jalali wal ikram, ya rabbana wa as wa rabbis, Oh Allah, you are the qawiyu, you are the aziz, oh Allah. We ask you, oh Allah, to send your aid and help upon the people of Gaza. Oh Allah, send your aid and help upon them, oh Allah. Oh Allah, bless them with sabr, oh Allah. Oh Allah, grant them success over their enemies, oh Allah. Oh Allah, they're hungry, so feed them, oh Allah. Oh Allah, they're thirsty, so give them clean water, oh Allah. Oh Allah, allow them to see the freedoms that we take for granted, oh Allah. Allah, O oh Allah, to you we complain of our weakness, O oh Allah, to you we complain of our incapacity, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, you are the Qawi, you are the Aziz. Show us, O oh Allah, your power. Show us your strength, O oh Allah. Show us the izza that you have promised the, the Messenger and the believers, O oh Allah. Upon you we put our trust and in you, you and in you we believe. Ibad Allah, Inna Allah Ta'ala, Amaraqumbi amrin Badabi Bina say Watanabi Malai Kudusi, Wa thallah bikum ayyuhal mutnu namin jindnihi wa inse. Faqala azimikala innahu malaikusalun ala nabi. يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل وسلم وبارك وأنعم على عبدك رسولك محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين عباد الله إن الله تعالى يأمر بالعدل والإحسان ويتايد القربة وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعذكم لعلكم تذكرون اذكروا الله العظيم يذكركم واشكروه يزد لكم الله تعالى أكبر وأقم الصلاة
1: حاولوا لا زال اعتدلوا الله اكبر الحمد لله رب نعبد وإياك نستعين اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم غَيْرِ المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين آمين والسماء the البروج واليوم the sky, ومشهود قتل أصحاب الأخدود النار ذات الوقود إذ هم عليها قعود وهم على ما يفعلون بالمؤمنين شهود وما نقموا منهم إلا أن يؤمنوا بالله العزيز الحميد الذي له ملك السماوات والأرض والله على كل شيء شهيد إن الذين فتنوا المؤمنين والمؤمنات ثم لم يتوبوا ثُمَّ لَمْ يَتُوبُوا فَلَهُمْ عَذَابُ جَهَنَّمَ وَلَهُمْ عَذَابٌ حَرِيقٌ إِنَّ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ لَهُمْ جَنَّاتٌ تَجْرِي مِنْ تَحْتِهَا الْأَنْهَارُ ذَلِكَ الْفَوْزُ الْكَبِيرُ إِنَّ بَطْشَ رَبِّكَ لَشَدِيدٌ إِنَّهُ هُوَ يب we are وَهُوَ الْغَفُورُ who is the one الْمَجِيدِ آمين اذا جاء نصر الله والفتح اذا جاء نصر الله والفتح ورأيت الناس يدخلون في دين الله أفواجا فسبح بحمد ربك واستغفره إنه كان توابا
0: الله أكبر
1: سمع الله لمن حمده
0: الله أكبر
1: السلام عليكم ورحمه الله السلام عليكم
0: ورحمه
1: الله استغفر الله استغفر الله
0: استغفر
1: الله اللهم one of our brothers Ziya Ahmed uh, he's in the hospital. He's had
2: uh, heart surgery. He's asking for du'a. Uh, we ask Allah subhanahu wa taala, Allahumma rabban nasi adhabil basi anta shafi la shifai la shifaa al la We ask Allah for a complete and cure and swift recovery for him and for all of our sick ones.